Book Three, Chapter Two, Part One of Lord of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Therese. Lord of the World by Robert U. Benson. Book Three, Chapter Two, Part One. At twenty-three o'clock that night, the Syrian priest went out to watch for the coming of the messenger from Tiberius. Nearly two hours previously he had heard the cry of the Russian velour that plied from Damascus to Tiberius, and Tiberius to Jerusalem, and even as it was, the messenger was a little late. These were very primitive arrangements, but Palestine was out of the world, a slip of useless country, and it was necessary for a man to ride from Tiberius to Nazareth each night with papers from Cardinal Corcoran to the Pope, and to return with correspondence. It was a dangerous task and the members of the new order, who surrounded the cardinal, undertook it by turns. In this manner, all matters for which the Pope's personal attention was required, and which were too long and not too urgent, could be dealt with at leisure by him, and an answer returned within the twenty-four hours. It was a brilliant moonlit night. The great golden shield was riding high above Tabor, shedding its strange metallic light down the long slopes and over the moor-like country that rose up from before the house-door, casting two heavy black shadows that seemed far more concrete and solid than the brilliant pale surfaces of the rock slabs, or even than the diamond flashes from the quartz and crystal that here and there sparkled up the stony pathway. Compared with this clear splendor, the yellow light from the shuttered house seemed a hot and tawdry thing, and the priest, leaning against the doorpost, his eyes alone alight in his dark face, sank down at last with a kind of eastern sensuousness to bathe himself in the glory, and to spread his lean brown hands out to it. This was a very simple man, in faith as well as in life. For him there were neither the ecstasies nor the desolations of his master. It was an immense and solemn joy to him to live here at the spot of God's incarnation, and in attendance upon his vicar. As regarded the movements of the world, he observed them as a man in a ship watches the heaving of the waves far beneath. Of course the world was restless, he half perceived, for, as the Latin doctor had said, all hearts were restless until they found their rest in God. Quare fermerunt gentes, ed versus dominum, ed versus Christum eus. As to the end, he was not greatly concerned. It might well be that the ship would be overwhelmed but the moment of the catastrophe will be the end of all things earthly. The gates of hell shall not prevail. When Rome falls, the world falls, and when the world falls, Christ is manifest in power. For himself, he imagined that the end was not far away. When he had named Megiddo this afternoon, it had been in his mind. To him it seemed natural that at the consummation of all things, Christ's vicar should dwell at Nazareth, where his king had come on earth and that the Armageddon of the divine John should be within sight of the scene where Christ had first taken his earthly scepter and should take it again. After all, it would not be the first battle that Megiddo had seen. Israel and Amalek had met here, Israel and Assyria. Sesostris had ridden here, and sent a cherub. Christian and Turk had contended here, like Michael and Satan, over the place where God's body had lain. As to the exact method of that end, he had no clear views. It would be a battle of some kind, and what field could be found more evidently designed for that than this huge, flat, circular plain of Estrelon, twenty miles across, sufficient to hold all the armies of the world in its embrace? To his view once more, ignorant as he was of present statistics, 
the world was divided into two large sections, Christians and heathens, and he supposed them very much of a size. Something would happen, troops would land at Caiapha, they would stream southwards from Tiberias, Damascus, and remote Asia, northwards from Jerusalem, Egypt, and Africa, eastwards from Europe, westwards from Asia, again, and the far-off Americas. And, surely, the time could not be far away, for here was Christ's vicar, and, as he himself had said in his Gospel of the Advent, Ubicunque furiti corpus, Iliae congregabuntur et aquilae. Of more subtle interpretations of prophecy he had no knowledge. For him words were things, not merely labels upon ideas. But Christ and St. Paul and St. John had said, these things were so. He had escaped, owing chiefly to his isolation from the world, that vast expansion of Richland ideas that during the last century had been responsible for the desertion by so many of any intelligible creed. For others this had been the supreme struggle, the difficulty of decision between the facts that words were not things, and yet that the things they represented were in themselves objective. But to this man, sitting now in the moonlight, listening to the far-off tap of hoofs over the hill as the messenger came up from Cana, faith was as simple as an exact science. Here Gabriel had descended on wide feathered wings from the throne of God set beyond the stars. The Holy Ghost had breathed in a beam of ineffable light. The word had become flesh as Mary folded her arms and bowed her head to the decree of the Eternal. And here once more, he thought, though it was no more than a guess. Yet he thought that already the running of chariot wheels was audible, the tumult of the host of God gathering about the camp of the saints. He thought that already beyond the bars of the dark, Gabriel set to his lips the trumpet of doom, and heaven was astir. He might be wrong at this time, as others had been wrong at other times, but neither he nor they could be wrong forever. There must some day be an end to the patience of God, even though patience sprang from the eternity of his nature. He stood up, as down the pale moonlit path a hundred yards away came a pale figure of one who rode with a leather bag strapped to his girdle. End of Book 3, Chapter 2, Part 1 Recording by Maria Therese